Uh, welcome again to Hot Topics. If you're just joining me because I turned on this recorder, this is why I'm saying some of these things. Um, so we're talking about uh, gender and sexuality today, and we're going to jump into gender roles. And if you look on your handout in this uh, introduction section, I have a quote um, that says, human sexuality must be understood in light of a variety of influences, including biological, sociological, psychological, theological, as well as gender, emotions, behaviors, attitudes, and values. Authentic human sexuality has to do with human beings according to God. Uh, I must have mistyped this, but with human beings according to God's design and purpose. And so um, this quote is taken from this book here, uh, Authentic Human Sexuality by Balswick and Balswick, which I think is at points very good and at points not so good. But um, they, at the opening, talk about what the making of sexuality is, and I've duplicated this onto your handout. Sexuality is when what happens when natal sex, so the sex that a baby is born with, uh, meets with their sexual identity, which is how they perceive their sexuality to be. Like, I perceive my sexual identity to be gay, straight, whatever. Um, the It also has to do with gender roles. Andy Ojos, hello! Hello. Um, Sorry. No, you're fine. Uh, it has to do with the gender roles. And gender roles, as we're going to talk about today, is the most sociocultural uh, part of our sexuality. It is most defined by others in our environment. Um, and so what we perceive to be as gender roles as white Americans is very different than what Africans in Ethiopia would perceive gender roles to be. Um, and then sexual orientation is that di- the direction of a person's sexual, like, sexual attraction. So what direction do their attractions go? So when these four things are taken together, ideally they are congruent or matching, and then that produces an authentic sexuality. But sometimes, like next week when we talk about homosexuality, some part of this uh, gets bent or, or misdirected, and so um, that causes some form of like sexual identity confusion or... Um, a different kind of sexual orientation, and even now as we talk more and more like 21st century stuff, I think there's a boy somewhere, and maybe it's in California or in England, that um, they are not, tell- they didn't tell anybody, what, Canada? He's a, they don't know what he is. They, nobody knows what he is, because they haven't said. So regardless of the baby's natal sex. The baby's name is Sky. The, navy, the baby's name is Sky, which is an, a, like a gender neutral name, and they are letting the child grow into their gender as they see. So obviously like a major kind of area of contention, but today we're going to just kind of pause. Hi Angie. Um, Today we're just going to start with uh, gender roles. And if you look on your handout there, I have the big idea, uh, which is taken from Sarah Sumner's book, Men and Women in the Church, which is also another fabulous book um, that I just love and read in college and have been rereading. Hi Paula. Um, and encourage you to read. Um, And the big idea for today is, I just took from her, she says, the Bible never commands us to strive for mature masculinity or mature femininity. Instead, the word of God calls people to become like Christ. The right question is not, am I fulfilling my call to be a biblical man or a biblical woman? The right question is, am I imitating Christ? So we're going to jump into the learning. Um, So if you flip the page to number two, Um, You will see our first learning task, Um, and you'll notice in the footnote, a learning task is an open question put to a small group with all the resources they need to respond. Learning tasks are not activities. If you say, yeah, Kyle's class, we do a lot of activities, I will find you and toilet paper your house. (laughs) 
We are answering open questions with all the resources you need to respond and engaging in all sorts of learning styles. So as a large group, we're going to fill in the top half of this chart um, by identifying observations about masculinity and femininity in the world. And then at your tables, I will have you fill out the bottom half of the chart, which is masculinity and femininity in the community. So if I said, what is a general observation or trait or expectation or stereotype of men in the world, what might one of those stereotypes be? Primary breadwinner. Okay, primary <laughs> breadwinner, sweet. What else? Macho. Macho, good. Strength, strong. Strength, very good. What else? Nowadays, it's putting on guys, they somehow have to be like women at the same time, too. Okay. I think it's such a mixed message. I don't think the young guys know what to do. Like. Do you hold a door open for a woman, or will that insult her? Right, right. Very good. Yes. So, like women. Um, what else? Leaders. Leaders. Okay. In the world. What about some things about femininity or women? What does the world say women are supposed to be? Okay, good. Sexy, they rhyme. Um, what else? And, and either or uh, other either categories could work here too. For women, I'd say emotional. Yeah. Overly emotional, even. Until they get into the boardroom at a company, then they're supposed to be totally the opposite. Right. So. Because the mixed messages our culture gives too. Professional. No on emotion. Sorry that my handwriting is left-handed and bad. Anything else? So what I want you to do then is at your tables with each other, fill in the bottom half of that chart for both men and women um, about what does the Christian community expect of masculinity or feminine, what expect to be masculine or expect to be feminine. So some of them might carry over, um, and if so, that should maybe sometimes that will give us pause. Um, but some of them might be different. So what are traits of men and women in the are Christian community? Are you talking community? about traits that we heard when we were growing up? Traits now? <laughs> are you including very just biblical right. things? All of it. All the extra all biblical stuff that goes with it. Everything. So what are the what do we perceive as to be the quote biblical unquote expectations of men and women? What do we expect to be like just cultural things? So. Um, you know, some of that stuff's going to transfer and some of it's not. So some of the stuff you heard growing up, but the, what the Christian community, in your experience and in your perspective, expects from, from men and women. So I will give you about five minutes to do this task. Any other questions? Ready, set, go. Mm -hmm. yeah. so, 
So now that you have been listing these things at your tables, I'd like us to kind of hear a sample. So what are some Christian, what are the Christian community's expectations or stereotypes for uh, of, of men? Let's start with men. Just yell them out. Leader. Leader. Head of. Leader, spiritual. Uh, head of house. I'm drawing a house. Okay, what else? Strong. Strong. I heard provider. So this. Strong but sensitive, said this table. I'm going to underline strong. Provider. Confused. Okay. Because I think we heard one thing growing up, and I think then we started hearing other things, like when we started going to Christian colleges and different places like that. Okay, very good. Especially during the 70s. Um, what else? What, what other male things? Something that crossed over to both was um, spiritual discipleship. Okay. I'm just going to write it here. Sweet. What? Anything else? Um, what about? Um, I, I'll read you her list out. I'll read you the list out of here. This is which is from her classes that she teaches at Azusa Pacific. But um, what about women? Submissive. Submissive. Kind of like the nurturer of the children. Nurturer. Stay at home. Yeah, I was gonna say we had to stay at home. Stay. At home, mom. She too was confused. Yes. Confused. Yeah. And 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 I think that I, I can even remember um, Dr. Dobson even saying on his program that there were two different subject matters that whenever he brought it up on there, got a lot of problems. And it was like whether women should work outside the home mm-hmm. or not, stay right. home kind of thing. You get more letters back and forth from both sides. It was like real antagonistic. Right. 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 Very good. And what kind of music you play at church? Those are the right. subjects. Well, that'll do it. Yeah. Those fighting. And, and, and I really think, I know I, w- I was in a weird situation because when I started having my children, I worked half time, I had a professional job, but I also had babies at home that I was, you know, taking mm-hmm. care of, and I was also big into the immersion mom kind of thing, too. Right. So I was like, I had friends on both sides, but I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. Right, interesting. Whether in that church or in society, because when I was with the working moms, I thought I was a weird. Because I spent so much time with my children, right. when I was with my friends that were at home, they thought it was weird because I worked, and it was, I, I didn't know where I was. Very good. Kind of like, both places right. for a long time. Caught in between. Any other expectations about women? Uh, service-oriented. Very good. Service-oriented. Besides perfection, like physical beauty, but also just perfection in general. That's good. Perfection, especially beauty. What else? We also have modesty. Very good. So let me ask you this. Um, what are things women do in the church? Like, the actual things they do as far as like service and ministry? Work in the nursery. Okay, nursery. Kids. What else? Meals. Meals. <laughs> Kitchen. Decorating. Decorating. That helped this year, so that's good. What else? Visiting. Visiting. Okay. In the home or mentoring. 
Very good. Counseling. Counseling. Okay, now what are the things that men do in the church? Lead. Lead. Preach. Teach. Preach. Teach. Building repair. Yeah. Fix it. Yeah. Financial decisions. Anything else? Okay, so I'm just going to ask some questions. Um, if a man stays home and his wife is the provider, does that make her masculine and him feminine? If um, if a woman sits on the finances the finance committee, which we don't really have, but let's just say, does that make her masculine? Are we talking within the church community or in the world? The church community, okay. or generally. It, it, it depends on the church, because one of the churches we went to before, when I was in my 20s, I did sit on finance. Right, very good. If a, if a man... Very good. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Not biologically. Right. So not like, maybe not as far as their natal sex is concerned, they've not changed or anything, but it might have something to say about their gender roles. Well, I have sons who really like to decorate. Does that make them feminine? Very good. I like, Kyle likes to cook. Right? Sometimes I think more artistic musical guys wonder sometimes about themselves. Very true. Sure. Very good. They like the kind of thing that women like. So let me read to you um, what Sarah Sumner writes in her book as what like some of these things are some of these things we've said and some of these things we haven't. So the Christian community, they say, they being the students that she's had teaching for about the last fifteen years, when she teaches a class called Men and Women in the Church. Um, they say the Christian community defines masculinity as being the Bible answer man, being the spiritual leader, being responsible for his family, being sexually moral, moral, not amoral, moral, <laughs> being decisive, being in charge, being gentle and strong all at once, which somebody said here like strong but sensitive, um, being in control of his, of his emotions, except his anger, being able to protect his family, being the breadwinner, and being held accountable for all of the above, as well as his family. Did you say accept his anger or accept? Accept. So, being in control of, he's, a lot, he's supposed to be in control of every emotion except his anger. That's the one he's not allowed. It's okay. It's acceptable for a man to be angry. <laughs> the Christian community, they say, defines femininity as being prayerful, taking care of her kids, being a good mother, being submissive, being sensitive, having a quiet and gentle spirit, being a wise woman, such as the Proverbs 31 woman, going to Bible studies, being dependent, being modest, being pretty and sexy in a subtle kind of way, being relatively slim. So, which we've kind of picked up because there was talk about beauty. Um, what I was struck by when I read this and I, and I circled it was that the expectation is that women are the prayerful ones and men aren't, but men are explicitly commanded in 1 Timothy to be praying and women are not. I mean, not, not that it says that not, but it says I, I, I expect men everywhere to lift their hand, hold their hands in prayer. But they but generally would say, and I kind of agree, like if you think of like the prayer warriors in your life, we talk about women, not men, right? With a few exceptions. Because women tend to be more emotional and more open to share their requests with one another. Right, that could be. And I think an interesting thing that kind of didn't make it on, like, over, it's interesting that overly emotional appeared up here. Um, 
But there's not, I guess there was like, do we have something about sensitivity here? No, but like. But I, I, I think women communicate with each other. So another thing would be, so when Julie and Paula, you guys are saying like there's emotion, they're sharing. So the women in the church are the communicative ones. Uh, have you ever noticed? Huh? Interpersonally. Um, have you ever noticed that men go to accountability groups like the men's check-ins and women go to Bible studies? Why is that? I'm just asking. Yeah, like, I, I, a lot of so a lot of today, by the way, is not going to be me saying anything decisive, which might annoy some of you. <laughs> um, but it's really hard to say any. I think it's very, which doesn't mean that we shouldn't, but it is very difficult to say decisive things about gender, um, because, um, like, is a woman allowed to be strong but sensitive? And what does strong mean? Um, a lot of Sarah Sumner's book is about. Um, in the evangelical church, women are essentially told to hold back. Um, and if that's true. Um, a point that she makes, and we're going to examine this list according to the scriptures and see what we need to add or take away or move. Um, according to this list, she says, the reason that men don't go to church is not because the church has been feminized. It's, the re- it's because men have more to lose by becoming Christians than women do. So women, So men are supposed to be macho and strong. They're supposed to kind of be, one of the things that were on her list, and I think I added, was like, they're supposed to be sexually potent men. Like, that's what they do. They're players. They're, um, you know, they're very independent. Like, think about just kind of how movies kind of, de- 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 like, de- depict men. But then when they come into the church, they're supposed to be providers. They're supposed to be caretakers. They're supposed to lose their independence. They're supposed to be servant heart like at like, whereas women on some level, like we said, Barbie sexy up, up in the world and women in their own way are encouraged to be modest and yet sexy at the same time. Right. Or like women, um, are supposed to be weak and meek and submissive in the world and they're supposed to be in the church. So her, her just suggestion is, are men not going to church because men have more to lose than women do, which I just think is interesting because there's actually a book out there called "Why Men Hate Why Men Hate Church" or "Why Men Hate Going to Church." Yeah, and his posit is that it's because it's been feminized, which is, by the way, an interesting statement because that even means because the tr- like it's bad for the church to have become feminine. So is feminine bad? Paula? Yeah, and Dr. Dobson has said for years the major reason why he thinks men don't go to church. Like, I can remember when I was in sixth grade, there were twelve boys and twelve girls in Bible discussion. Right. Class. By the time we finished high school, twelve girls right. and three boys. That was an area where people didn't move away, and the same people were still around. They weren't going to church, and he said that the two issues are guilt over anger, guilt, and guilt over sexual issues. Right, bingo. Are, are the big thing. Very good. From church. And I think like it's just very interesting how much a lot of times women perceive them like like when I went to Moody, a lot of women really struggled with feeling limited by the church. But even just in what she's trying to bring up is that women are maybe more often. Men are maybe in some ways more limited than women are in the church, depending on how you look at it. So what I, let's look at 1B, which is on the next page. Um, we're going to read out loud. We're not gonna, we don't have time to study any real, like it's hard to kind of pick one text and study it to get a lot of answers. And so I've listed almost every major text about gender or sexuality or men and women in the scriptures. Um, I've missed some. So um, we're going to kind of just... Read them out loud, and after every one, I want to know this says, we're going to examine these, and as each text is read, we'll look, take another look at this chart, the bottom half. And, I've, and I didn't even know how to write this, but I want us to see, after we read a text, do we need to add something? 
do we need to take it away, or is there something that we need to move? Does that make sense? Like, does it need does provider? Can it be in the middle, etc.? So, can I get somebody like so? Just everybody kind of just start picking in, but some of you could move towards more of the back of the list, so we're not all at Genesis one. Um, and I may actually just tell you real quick, um, Genesis one twenty. We'll skip the first two. Genesis one twenty six through twenty eight is that God made man and woman in His image. In the image of God, He created them, and so male like the masculine gender alone does not appropriately display God's image. It is man and woman together. Um, and so Genesis 2, 20 through 25 is when it says that no suitor, no helpful, uh, no suitable helper. Hi, Ben. Uh, grab a seat at a table. Um, guys, I've not seen this kid in ages. Just, <laughs> sorry. Um, uh, there was no suitable helper found for Adam. And this is after, uh, and Donald Miller in his book, Searching for God Knows What, does a great job with this, of picturing Adam traveling the whole earth, naming all of the animals with the expectation that one of them would be a suitable helper for, helper for him. And at the end of what Donald Miller says, that it's not that God paraded all the animals in front of Adam. Adam had to traverse the length of the, the, length of the earth to find all the animals and name them. Um, at the end of that journey, he does not find anyone that is a suitable helper for him. And so God says, he'll make woman out of the man, out of his rib. And then when uh, Adam in the text, by the way, never says anything out loud, he has no dialogue appointed to him in Genesis 1 or 2 until he sees her and says, at last, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Which I think is just really fascinating. So let's pick up at Judges 4, 4 through 5. Can somebody read that out loud? Judges chapter 4, 4 through 5, loud and proud. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lechadah, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came to her for judgment. So Deborah is a judge. Now, we're not, like, here's the deal. I'm not looking for us to, like, do a whole lot of interpretation on these texts because we don't have time and we've got journal articles written about every one. But does that text, Deborah being, does that make us add or move or change or question anything on our, on our list? So we have Deborah judging Israel, but we don't have anything about leadership on this side of the column. We should have leadership. Okay. And all I'm asking is for us to take the text at face value. Okay? So, uh, Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. I'm not going to make you read that whole thing, so just start reading at 10. But I'll stop you at some point, honey. The excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers the field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. Thanks, babe. We're good. Um, what is the Proverbs 31 woman depicted as doing? Providing. Providing. And she's very good at it, right? So I'm going to add that. By the way, take this question home, ponder it in your hearts. Proverbs 31, is it one woman or many qualities that many women might have? 
So, women, are you now stacked up against one Proverbs 31 woman, or are you now stacked up against maybe just some general qualities that might be ideal? I think it's the latter. Um, Acts 18, 24 through 26. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. He began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. Did I miss the part about a Priscilla in there? Yeah. Okay, that, okay. Sorry, I think I mistyped the verses. No, Sorry. I no, I didn't read 26. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Interesting. Priscilla's a woman. What is she doing? Teaching. Teaching. <laughs> Do we need to add, remove, move, or take away? Add teaching. Okay. Again, we're just taking the text at face value. I'm trying to trying to get you acquainted with the complexities of this issue. Teaching. Okay, teaching and maybe more of a counseling or maybe... Right. So like almost like a one-on-one correction. Very good. So I'm going to say took aside, correction. Sure, let's do that. Good. Um, and a, but that, that's a good question. Does it show authority? That was the, we're right, and that's the question. Her husband was there, so let's keep going because I just want to keep moving. First um, Corinthians fourteen thirty-four through thirty-five. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husband at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. What is we, what do we add or take away now? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> what is what does submissive say? What does submissive mean? <laughs> what does submissive mean? According to this text. What's that? Private. <laughs> and silence. Interesting. Uh, Galatians three twenty eight. Oh, there's a ton. No. Oh no. <laughs> Galatians three twenty eight. No, that's not. She's right. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Equality? I'm going to put that right in the middle. Spiritual equality. Okay, is it spiritual? Is it... Um, the question is, does it extend to roles? Yeah, is it the the more traditional view would say that this is a this is a statement of worth or value, um, whereas the more egalitarian would say that this is a, this is a flat out statement about roles and ability to do things. So Ephesians five twenty one through thirty two, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Okay, so what is the root command of that text? Where does that text start? What is the first command of Paul? Well, it depends on who you, who you look at. John and I were just discussing this yesterday. Some of the commentaries say that, that verse 21 is attached to that paragraph, and some say it belongs to the previous paragraph talking about the church in general. Yeah. And if you attach that to exceptional marriage, then both husbands and wives are supposed to be submitting to each other. Right. If That's you the don't, first verse, 21. Yes. Well, it is, it, is, it is, but it depends on... I don't know. If you go back in the Greek, where does it belong? If you go in the Greek... There's no punctuation in Greek. If you go in the Greek, 522... Wives, as to your husband, is the literal translation. Okay. Paul is stealing the verse from verse, stealing the verb from twenty-one, which is super common in Greek, because the verb was right there. So he's like, "Well, I'm not going to write it again. I'm lazy, right?" So they know. I would say that, and I think what happens is you kind of said this too. If you say that it's attached, that means wives and husbands are supposed to submit to each other. If you say that they're not attached, that means wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. I think that that divides it in an unhelpful way. And I'll tell you why I think that at the end of our time. I think that 521 is the root command, submit to one another, and a husband's supposed to say, well, what is submission to my wife? Like, because Paul says, submit to one another, and then he says, here's say, let's think. If I was, like, preaching a sermon on this, and I was like, I need an illustration, I'm going to say, where would this really, like, hit the road? Marriage. So what might it look like for a husband to submit to his wife? He is her head. He loves her as Christ loves the church. What does it look like for wives to submit to their husband? Well, she respects him, right? She is his body. And then he's like, what else? Where else might this hit the rope? Oh, slaves and masters. Slaves. Submit, like, so I, what my question would be, and we're going to move on, so watch it, is, is submission and leadership, are they different in the man's life? Or is the way that man, a man exercises submission to his wife sacrificial leadership? Just a question. And an interesting thing is that if you were to look at the verb, like the kind of three major things, um, Paul says um, that this is the husband's, right? And this is the wife's. Let's play a little game and match these. So which of which of these words over here does respect go with? Sorry. We're, okay. Where does body go? Where does submit go? Where do we commonly pair submit with? Head. Interesting. So what would happen if we put submission and sacrifice as a couplet instead of submit and head? So that instead of, a, well, what does it look like for me to be the head and you submit to me and like when we want to go out to dinner and like I want to go to Olive Garden, but Steph wants to go to like Dogfather, so I'm the head, so we go to like Olive Garden. Or, this, okay, guys, this is what the books say. Like, let me tell you a story of like, you know. But what if, what if submission and sacrifice went together instead of? So I'm just asking. Anyway, so next text is. Uh, don't you love it? First Timothy two eight. This is big. First Timothy two eight through fourteen. Um, 
I, de I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands, without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in a respectful apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Very good. Um, so women, good news. If you've had a baby, you're in. Um, no, there's a lot there. Um, right? Guys, welcome. Here's, this is, it's actually been translated that way before. Though. Right. People look at it that right. way. Um, this, I'm going to kind of, we're going to, let me, let me give you a quick, like, review of the next one. Um, Titus 2, 1 through 6 is the passage about women, men should be self-controlled and where women should be teaching younger women how to, like, love their husbands and have a home. First Peter 3, 1, and, 1 through 2 and 7. I'm going to use your little Bible app here on your little phone. I do want to read this one because that's important. Um, is, I think, probably the text that I wish we probably spent most of our time on. Um, First Peter 3, 1, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Jump down to 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Interesting. A man who does not live with his wife in an understanding way, his prayers will be hindered. The Greek word there is the word for like an obstacle thrown into your path. Like when a train comes when you're driving, that's what the same way that's hindered. Um, so what I'm trying to kind of get you to see, and we've kind of, I added, by the way, like sacrifice and love after Ephesians 5. We have submissive. We, have, we should have understanding way over here. Um, what I'm kind of trying to help you see is a lot of times the way that we can see the scriptures is that like, um, we try to take gender and sexuality and turn it into like a very precise columned thing. That if a woman does this, she's feminine and a woman, and a man does this, he's masculine and a man. And this, now you can take this two ways. This is like either 21st century millennial talking or just like we just read the Bible together and it seems like there's like a, com a complex thing going on where we can't even say with certainty that like it's unbiblical for a woman to work because, come on Katie, just sit at a table of your choosing right there by my wife. Um, I'll take mine there. Um, like, we had provider here, but Proverbs 31 is an entire chapter about a woman, maybe not provide, what, I mean, we don't, but it's like, and this is what happens, right? So then we say, well, the chapter about Proverbs 31 looks like she's providing for her family. But then we start having this conversation, well, it's okay for a woman to work as long as she doesn't make as much money as her husband. <laughs> well, is that what the text says? I mean, and then we like look at like 1 Timothy 2 that says, I do not permit a woman to have authority over a man. Or to exercise authority. Interesting, by the way, the verb to exercise authority in Greek. Some of you may know this. Um, that is the only time Paul. You, that is the only time that word appears in the Greek. The only time. So sometimes when you're studying the Bible and you ha hit a problem passage, you're like, 
I don't know what this word means. I'm going to go look at other times the Bible uses it. But we can't, and that word is never, then sometimes we'll say, okay, well, how is it used in classical Greek literature? It's never used in classical Greek literature in a helpful way that helps us understand this passage. And so, which is not to say, by the way, which is not to say that we can't understand this issue. Every text means something, and every text God wants us to get. Okay? Like, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. But what we are dealing with is a very, very complex issue. And when I originally wrote the big idea, my big idea was... The Bible designed us to have complementarity in our gender roles, meaning men do some things, women do some things, and these kind of complement each other in the same way, like <coughs> certain foods complement each other. Um, but on the other hand, but that there's flexibility in those roles. And I think that's kind of what the Bible is doing, is giving us some kind of flexibility that in which we become obedient to him uh, through, through varying life situations. I do not think at the end of days a woman who worked is going to stand before the Lord and be held accountable for working. You can't get there through the text. Um, And this is where I was going to say this at the end, and I'm going to say this now. My problem with this whole discussion, and then we're going to do this case study, is all of a sudden I'm not looking to imitate Christ anymore. I'm looking at other men and women around me and comparing myself. And the interesting thing about that is because when we talk about gender roles, all of a sudden I'm comparing to Ben and to Joel and to Bert and to John and to Dave and to Jeff, like how I am doing as a husband, right? And then the other problem is then women get into this thing and they're comparing themselves to each other instead of saying, am I imitating Christ? And again, what I'm not saying is that there is no biblical category for a biblical man or a biblical woman. I just don't think they're as strong, as evident, and as binding as we think they are. Because obviously there's some kind of crazy flexibility or, not, and I would never say contradiction, I would say just flexibility. But I, but I think when we talk so much about biblical men and biblical women, what happens is we take our eyes off of Jesus. And so Sarah Sumner's question The right question is not, am I fulfilling my call to be a biblical man or a biblical woman? The right question is, am I imitating Christ? And odds are, if a husband is asking, uh, am I imitating Christ? He's probably living obediently to, to Ephesians 5. If a wife is asking, am I imitating Christ? She's probably living obediently to Ephesians 5. Because what Paul is doing is saying, Jesus is dead. Now, I, now we all need to figure out what this whole Jesus person means in our daily lives. So I'm going to write about it. And so Paul says, I need to give them more explicit instruction about marriage. The problem is his explicit instruction actually trips us up sometimes more than it does. But I think the real question is, and I don't think it's simplistic, is am I imitating Christ? And I think that gets you about 97% of the way to doing the right thing. So look at 1C. Using this list and what these texts that we know, we're going to spend our remaining about 18 minutes together working on a case study that I'm going to read to you, and then um, you guys are going to like respond to at your table. Okay? Jack and Jenny recently joined your small group. A couple in their early 30s, they've been married for nearly 10 years and are expecting twins in a few months. Jenny, an esteemed and tenured physics professor at a nearby college, makes significantly more than her husband Jack, a computer programmer for a national technology firm. When the, baby, when the babies arrive in four months, their plan is for Jack to stay at home with their twins and for Jenny to continue working, seeing that Jack's salary would not be adequate to support their new family. Jenny's schedule is flexible and Jack will work part-time from home. 
In the long term, Jack would like to homeschool their kids while Jenny continues to work. After a recent sermon series on gender and sexuality, Jenny and Jack are confused. They were told that to be masculine is to lead, provide for, and protect women, and to be feminine is to affirm, receive, and nurture the strength and leadership of men. Footnote, that is John Piper. Those are John Piper's definitions of masculinity and femininity. Um, this has created some tension for them. They come to you after your small group and seek, to, seek your counsel. After the group has left, Jack tells you they are afraid that going through with their plan will violate God's word. Jenny, starting to cry, tells you that she's never felt so insecure as a woman as she did after that sermon series. She's always felt that this was what God wanted for them. With eager and humble expectation, Jenny and Jack are looking to you for biblical counsel and guidance. Um, by the way, in almost every class, we're going to do a case study. Because I think case studies really like make us think, like, take this, and all of a sudden, like, a person's looking at me, and I'm supposed to be like... Yes, you know, like, so I want, so what you need to do is give a response to Jack and Jenny based on our lists here, based on our Bible text here, and, and we'll talk about this in about seven minutes, which will be, I think, about five after on that clock, if I can see the angle right. So, thanks. Go. The to make it work is the fact that his job wouldn't provide for their family. Okay. So, so to make the decision to let her work full-time and him work part-time, he's still going to work. It's not like he's usurping his responsibilities in any way. He's he's just... I think a lot of times, and this came up with that back table, provision, what does that word provide mean? And so often, if we count it as pure money, then what it would mean is he should just... If that's what a man's supposed to do, why is he ever home? Right? So, Dave, go ahead. Your table. I would layer on, I, I agree with what yeah. you were saying, but layering onto that, the desire that they have in being confronted with the situation, that they're, that they're willing to submit to what's, what is right. Right. And looking for wise counsel and, and help in saying, what is God really telling us here? And, and submitting to the word of God. Very good. How about that last, this table right here? Do you agree with what they're saying? Like these kind of this kind of side of the room? Are you bothered by it? Bert, Bert has a feeling. We are well. We divide it somewhat, but I mean, it, it, it really is, is that in the in the in the basis of it is that the man has a inner gender to to um, gender role, I guess. To be that provider, to provide for the family financial and the woman. And if that's taken away, then the man's, I'll use the word psyche, I guess, is destroyed or hurt or damaged. Yeah. And then the woman, if she's, her roles are to be a mother and wife and to be at home. And I'm not saying that it's all kinds of, but when that's reversed and she's forced to go out and, and do things that are, Somewhat against uh, the whole man is nature. Sure, then, go ahead. Um, then she's damaged, right? So, what kind of what you're implying is that there's something there's something in the very nature of a person's yeah. gender role where man should be working and woman should be at home, and that to flip this would be violating something about something inside of themselves, even if maybe they're not like even if maybe they're not even entirely conscious of it. Potentially, okay, good, very good. Okay, then maybe they need to bring their social ladder down a little bit, or right, and change their. Sure, but whether they can do that, I don't know. That's yeah, that's not. Ben, thirty seconds. I was gonna 
tag on what he just said, but also I was going to say, like, as far as the definition of the bottom, I don't think reversing the roles would actually defeat that, because whoever's bringing in the money doesn't affect whether the man is leading or protecting, right. or whether the woman is affirming and nurturing. Right. Um, it really only influences the words provide for the man and receive for the woman. Right. And you ask, is the man providing by allowing more money to come in? Kind of. Right. You know, what, even if it's by the woman's work. Um, and is the woman receiving uh, from her husband, not financially, but in every other way? Yes. Right. Yeah. Good. Um, I'm going to give Robin the last word, and then I've got a closing thing. <laughs> I just, whatever they decide, I really hope that they would be open to reevaluating yes, it because so time will tell. And I'm yeah. counseling oh, someone at work who's the main provider, and she resents it. Right. So Bingo. Very good. Once those babies are born, mom's right. viewpoints change very often. Right. And, and, and I, over time. Right. And I appreciate the, the resentment idea. Like, if that is, I mean, I don't care how much money. Like, I don't want resentment in that marriage. So that just needs to change. Um, this is actually kind of based off a real-life experience. I have a professor at Wheaton whose wife is a resident director full-time. Um, and he works part-time in my department as an instructor and internship coordinator. And then, But he would say, my full-time job is homeschooling my boys. He has two boys. Um, and it works for them. And um, no resentment. I think it, the interesting thing, I think if it was flipped, it would be resentment. So, you know, it's just interesting that that's how it's worked for them. I mean, and then, you know, it takes me and Steph right now. I'm only working part-time, but I'm in grad school. Um, she's working full-time. She is way more than bringing in the bacon. But, like, depending on how you think about that, this investment that we're making as far as time means that later on... I can be providing in a bigger way. And so um, if you look at this closing word on the eternal view of gender, Jesus answered them. This is Matthew 22. I, 1D, by the way, learning task 1D, please, I invite you to do that on your own time. We're just short on it. Um, but on that closing word, Matthew 22, Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they will neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And then Ephesians 5.32, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. I've been reflecting a lot of this week about what happens in heaven to gender. Um, when you think about all of this and the confusion that we feel, and that, like, even when you read that case study, there's something that we're like, I don't know what this means. We have to remember that this talk of gender roles is uh, something that we're doing in the time between the times that we as exiles and sojourners in this world are forced to kind of figure out in the midst of sinful relationships what it looks like for us to interact in gender as gendered people. Adam and Eve before the fall were not asking questions about headship and submission. Um, um, that was just not a matter to them. You know, I was talking to my friend last night. I don't know if gender will go away. Um, but I don't think it'll be something that we conceive of because so much of our gender is for marriage is that's kind of what it's built for. Um, when marriage ceases, what happens to me as a gender person? I don't think I become genderless because something about me, a man and a woman's genderedness reflects the image of God. But do we need a reflection of the image if the image is right there? It's just a question. Um, and I, I really want to like drive home this point. There is a huge complexity to this issue and I could have we could have spent all morning just doing case we could do the whole semester of just case studies on this which would actually kind of be fun but also stressful and um, and but this is where I want like to, this is where we have to remember like Christ is before all things and above all things and like 
he is the logic to figure this out. And so to the couple like that is freaking out, the question is, what does it mean to imitate Christ? And I think the question that I would leave you with is, um, Kyle, what does it look like for a 25-year-old male grad student, part-time pastor to imitate Christ? What does it look like for Katie, a fresh, a sophomore in high school, who's a girl to imitate Christ? Like, what does it look like for Julie, like a mom of four adult children who's working full-time and pursuing grad school? Like, what does it look like for Christ to be formed in you? Not, what does it look like for Christ to be formed in me as a biblical woman? That, that suddenly takes us into a comparison of, well, what am, well, Robin's doing this and, and I'm doing that. You know, like, but if, if we compare ourselves only to Christ, um, suddenly, like, obedience becomes easier. So um, your second learning task um, is called Carpe Eruditio, which is Latin for seize the learning. Um, and sometime this week, I'd invite you to do that. Um, every week I'll do it. You could journal about what it means to be Christ to be formed in you, answer that question, or draw a mind map. If you don't know what a mind map is, it's like when you kind of have a key idea and you draw like other bubble ideas off of it. I've been, this is how I write to-do lists, actually is in mind maps. Um, you could, um, or write, I know, nerdy. Um, I just figured out how well it works for me. I took it, well, I actually took a test and I'm a visual learner, and which I never knew, and that's more visual than writing a list. So, um, so but take, take time to maybe do your, to seize the learning sometime this week. Um, so I would just, could somebody close us in prayer, and then we can go off to service, please. How about a woman closes us in prayer, please? Wait for it. Wait for it. I will. Thank you, Linda. (laughs) Dear Lord, I just thank you for um, this time that we've had to share together here and just um, pray that we will continue to think on these things today and to um, focus mostly on just becoming more Christ-like, and um, all these other things will will kind of fall into place. Um, Give us open our hearts and minds for your your name, Amen. 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 Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. So, thanks.